Thank you, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the Language Matters podcast. It is really a privilege to be talking to Sheila Gupta, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of things that Sheila will say that you're going to learn a lot from, and we'll be keen to get your feedback. And if you want to know more about what Sheila does, you can follow her on LinkedIn, you can send her an email, she will definitely get back to you, that I can promise. So Sheila, thank you once again for joining me. And I would love us to start this off with you introducing yourself, telling my listeners who Sheila is and what Sheila has been up to. Mame, first of all, thank you very much indeed for that very generous introduction. Uh, you're very, very kind. Um, and also to thank you for inviting me to do this podcast with you. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for the opportunity too. So thank you very much. You're my um, right. So in answer to your question, um, who is Sheila Gupta and, and what, what is my role here at Queen Mary? Um, so essentially, um, my role is to be Vice Principal for People, Culture and Inclusion. Um, I'm very pleased in as much as it's a brand new role. It was created by the Principal to support the delivery of Strategy 2030, which is our 10-year strategy setting out our academic ambitions as a university. Um, and the beauty about the strategy is it has EDI as its central focus. Um, and I think the other thing that's really quite interesting is that my role of VP People, Culture and Inclusion is quite a unique role in the sector um, in as much as it has a remit for staff and students and alumni. Uh, and that's quite unusual. Many roles will have a purview for just staff and some do combine staff and students. But to expand staff, students and alumni means it is, it is truly about people uh, and it is truly about the culture of us as a university as a complete community. So that I think is also very attractive from my perspective. And I wasn't actually looking for a role. So when this came to my attention, the reason that I was attracted to Queen Mary is because here was an institution that wanted to create a values-based culture. And it saw that as an integral part of being able to realize its academic ambitions. How special is that? So that really spoke to me and it very much resonated with me. And for me, that is what makes Queen Mary a very distinctive university and also a very attractive university uh, to be working for. So, so that's how I came to be here. Um, and that in a very high level way is the, is the role that I'm here to perform. Thank you. And I can so much relate to Queen Mary being very attractive and an ideal place to flourish because I am a product of Queen Mary, a proud product as such. You know, and Queen Mary would always, always be part of who I am because what I am today has been made possible by Queen Mary. So that's that's very true. So Sheila, let me take you back memory lane a bit. Somewhere last year, August, I you had an email from me, and I was so surprised when you responded to that email. And I think my subject was complementing EDI, diversity, equity, and inclusion with language and you responded favorably and agreed to meet me. So my question to you is, why did you respond? What about that message got you interested and agreed for us to meet? 
So, Marmay, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, the reason I responded to your email was because I was really attracted by the research that you'd undertaken, looking at the connection between language awareness and its impact on EDI. So, for me, it was absolutely vital research because it was very practical in its application. Um, and I thought to myself, do you know, this would work really well fitting in with our own EDI training provision because we didn't cover the link between language and EDI previously. So it was filling a gap. But I love the fact that this was your research, your recent research that is now going to be feeding in to our training. So that was really what kind of ignited my interest when I when I read your email, which is why I wanted to meet you and learn more about it and talk to you about it and really understand the, the drivers behind what, what you're thinking. Mm. Mm. To me, it was it was really important to support you because also as one of our students using your research to enhance EDI practice at Queen Mary, it just seemed such a wonderful next step. It, it was a, a fabulous exposition, I think, of what we talk about, what we want to be, what we represent. So I really wanted to support you as one of our students to make sure that we were giving you the opportunity to actually apply the research that you'd undertaken with us. And I think you also offered a new idea, a new angle, and that was uh, that was very interesting to look at, because currently that wasn't covered within our portfolio of provision. So that was really uh, a sort of series of of reasons why I just thought I need to learn more. I need to find out more about this work that Marme is talking about. Thank you so much for those uh, encouragements and valuable feedback. So now, as we've already established, Queen Mary is a very diverse place, but unfortunately, this is not reflected in leadership currently. So my next question is, how are you going to ensure, or what are some of the steps you are taking to ensure that the diversity that is reflected at the grassroots is actually seen in leadership roles as well? Thank you very much, Marme. I think leadership is perhaps one of the most important areas for me, because if we don't transform our leadership, then we can't begin to really build and create that diverse community that we all aspire to, to, to build. So we're doing a lot of work in this area, and I hope you'll bear with me because I'll just give you a flavour of, of a number of different initiatives that we've got running. So first and foremost, we are conducting university-wide consultations with a view to developing a leadership development framework. And this will define the competences and behaviours that we expect of our leaders at Queen Mary. And I think that that is absolutely vital because they have to embody our values. So it will inform the content of all our leadership development and management programmes. Um, and it will also help to proactively identify our future leaders. And that's something that we haven't done hitherto. So it will address this issue of underrepresentation of women and people of colour. And that, I think, is a new and bold step to take. Also, uh, we'll promote the concept of inclusive leadership. So, for example, um, an area that will be of interest to you is having leaders who display cultural fluency. That is something that, again, we really want to promote. Uh, and we want to ensure that leaders will also be expected to be advocates of EDI. It's very important that they are strong proponents of it. With it, we've just recently revised our academic promotions processes, 
and we've made some significant changes again because there is an underrepresentation of women and people of colour at middle and senior levels and we really need to address that underrepresentation. So what we have, so for example, particularly at reader level and professor level. So what we've done is we've introduced a range of new principles and concepts that will address this. So we've embedded inclusion and citizenship as clear criteria that have to be demonstrated if someone is going to be promoted. Equally, we've introduced the principle of thresholds. So what this means is that every academic will have the opportunity for a discussion about their readiness for promotion so that people will not be overlooked. Now, typically for someone at lecture level, that will take place at, at a three year juncture, but it can take place earlier if they're showing particular promise. For those at senior lecturer and reader level, it will typically take place at the five year juncture because they obviously need to build the track record of academic expertise to apply for promotion. That isn't something that we've done previously either, and it's been really successful in other universities that I've been in. So that's why I wanted to bring that whole approach to Queen Mary. And I'm also delighted to say that leadership for me is not only about holding formal roles within the university, head of school, vice principal, it's also about the wide range of working groups and boards and committees that have decision-making responsibilities across the university. And at the EDISG steering group last week, we approved a paper where we're going to introduce open and transparent competitive processes to fill roles on those committees, particularly chairs and co-chairs, so that everyone has an opportunity to um, apply for and be encouraged to apply for being part of our university's decision-making processes and getting that vital experience of governance and leadership, even before you're at the stage in your life where you can genuinely be a head of school, for example. So we're doing a lot of work in this area of leadership, um, and I hope that gives you some concrete examples of what some of that work is. It does, it really does. And I'm particularly, like you said, pleased with the aspect of having leaders who are culturally competent because we can't that is at the core of diversity the problem is once you have different people coming together we have different cultures coming together but our leaders prepared to lead these people do they have the cultural competence to be able to drive the initiatives at the university so i'm so pleased that you have this at the center of your of your plans so before I let you go, I mean, I think Sheila has a vast wealth of experience that she didn't tell you about. If you want more details, look up her LinkedIn profile. But Sheila, I'm keen to, to hear you say a word. So firstly, to leaders who are listening to us and to employees, what can they do differently to embed diversity, inclusion and equity in their culture, in their organizations as, as a culture, you know, make it a part or a, a way of their living in whichever form or organization they find themselves in? So I think for me, those who are leaders and employees, the first thing they need to do is really embrace the university's values, because that is down to every single one of us. In order to create the university that we all aspire to be part of, we all have to exemplify those values. Um, and that is an individual, independent responsibility that each of us have. Uh, and we can't delegate that. That is down to us. 
Um, and I think I really want to sort of reinforce that principle that we are all responsible for EDI. And again, you will recognize this, you know, it isn't a responsibility of one VP or one chair of a committee, it, it is all of us. So, so that's the first thing, to embody and exemplify our values in all that we do. I also want to um, talk about the fact that I did earlier, leaders need to embrace the concept of inclusive leadership uh, and they need to bring that into their day-to-day -day leadership activities. So that's another very important way in which leaders can be active proponents of EDI in all that they do and how they support and grow and nurture their staff to progress and enjoy rewarding careers. Mm. In terms of employees, again, it is through their everyday behaviours and by engaging with EDI, which they can do in a variety of different ways at local level. It may be contributing ideas to the EDI committee, it may be being a member of the EDI committee, it may be being a part of peer groups and networks, talking about their experiences, giving the employee voice uh, purpose and giving the employee voice a, a somewhere where they can channel their views so that we can actually better understand the experiences of our staff, where we can do things far better than we currently are, where we've done things well, but we need to share that those examples far more widely. So it's about talking and listening. And I can't, I can't stress that enough. And we can all do that, that. We don't need to make special provision for that. Also, we recently launched our Values in Action tool, Toolkit, which we launched in December. Now, that is a toolkit for employees and managers to take the university values and give them practical ideas about how they can actually turn these values into action in their everyday work. That work is currently being rolled out across the university. And again, the toolkit is there, it's on the website. Please use it as a valuable resource. And th those are just some ways in which all of us, whether we are employees, whether we're in leadership roles, can really make a difference to EDI at Queen Mary. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. That's, I have learned a lot from that. And I'm sure our listeners as well will pick a thing or two from what you have said. So I know your, your I mean, your time is, uh, I, I appreciate even you, this time you have uh, given and made for, for this recording. But before I let you go, finally, your last word to anyone who's suffering or going, having an experience of being discriminated at work, what would you say to that person? I think one of the most important things to say to a person is we hear you and we empathize with you and we will do something about it. We will, we will support you. It's really important that people f feel that they are being fully supported when they are victims of, very, of bad behavior. I think for me, when you're feeling vulnerable and you've also been deeply emotionally affected by discriminatory behavior, it's very, very difficult. You feel so fragile. So what's important is you need to do what is comfortable for you. There's no right or wrong way, and I can't emphasize that enough, which is why there are lots of different options and courses of action available to people. And again, I'm going to cover some of them. This isn't an exhaustive list. I should be uh, very honest about that. But I'm going to give 
some examples of practical things that colleagues can do if they find themselves in the very unfortunate situation of being on the wrong end of discriminatory behaviour, which we hope doesn't happen, but clearly it still does. So people do have a variety of choices. One of them could be speaking to one's line manager or supervisor if they are not the person who's discriminating against you. They can be a very helpful source of advice and they can also not only just support you emotionally, uh, but they can also give you very sound advice and they can direct you to other sources of help. So please do use your managers and supervisors as important people who can be very, very uh, supportive in, in, in these situations. If you want, you can also talk to colleagues in HR or your trade unions. Again, they, they've all been trained to, to help colleagues who are going through these experiences. So those could also be valuable sources of advice and, and uh, help. For people who want to go outside the organisation, we have an employee assistance programme. The link to it is on the HR website. So if you want to speak confidentially to somebody outside the organisation to get professional advice or counselling advice, please do go through the EAP and they can put you in touch with a counsellor whom you can talk to. We also have our own university counselling service. And again, it's, it's a wonderful service. So please do feel free to access that if you would like to. A couple of new things that we've done. Discrimination can really affect your mental health and people should not be, should not feel that there's anything wrong with that. We all have situations where our mental health is differentially affected throughout different periods of our life and in response to different circumstances. We have trained 150 mental health first aiders. So there's a whole network of them. And again, if you look up, if you go to the HR website, we can put you in touch with those, uh, with one of those advisors and they can be a valuable source of support, taking you through a difficult period of time. We have also trained a number of mediators. So if you felt that you wanted to actually talk to the individual uh, and confront them about their discrimination, but you wanted to have some help with that, we have mediators who could perhaps meet with you and that person and identify to them why their behaviours or their conduct is so inappropriate and what you're expecting them to do in response to your complaint. So those are things that are all ways in which you can try and address these situations to support you, provide you with advice and guidance. And finally, and I have left this to the last point, there are obviously formal complaints procedures. There is the grievance procedure, which we have just updated to represent good, good modern practice. And there's the dignity at work pro policy. Those are also very formal policy, 